Uh, great to have you with us. If you hadn't noticed, um, if, if you are a vegetarian, um, we love you. You will be, you will be loved here. But you'll, you will hear a fa your fair share of hunting stories and hunting references. This will be a Cabela's church, okay? I just want to <laughs> make it very clear to you up front so you know what you're walking into. Um, uh, but we've had fun. We've had a fun couple of weeks, and this is week three. And what we're going to be doing is jumping into the second week of a series called Divine Direction. And, and, and what we've tried to do, uh, what we tried to do last week is, is uh, turn some things, uh, when it comes to perspective, when it comes to uh, the way we look at decision-making and discerning God's will. Because it, it, decisions are hard, they're stressful, and when we're trying to figure out where we're supposed to go, it can be difficult. And so last week what we tried to do is, I instead of focusing on the decisions themselves, instead of focusing on the forks in the road, we wanted to focus on some foundational things. So we said, God cares more about who than do. In other words, God cares more about who you're becoming, the relationship you're building with him, and, and who you are as a person than what you actually do with your life. And we also said God cares more about why than what. God cares more about the motives for your decision-making, the motives behind what you're doing than what you're actually doing. So for me as a pastor, I feel like I've been called to be a pastor. God has placed me here. It's something he wants for my life. But God would rather have me do anything else with integrity than be a pastor without integrity. And the same is true for you guys. And so we really just wanted to establish that decisions are hard. There's a process to go through, and we're going to get into a little bit this week and, and the following weeks. But we wanted to establish that there's more to decision-making before you actually get to the decision-making. And that's what we hit last week. And so this week, I want to I uh, get a little bit more practical, but, uh, but I also want to acknowledge that even under the best spiritual circumstances, making decisions can be extremely difficult. Okay, e even if you've established, I'm becoming the right who, I'm pursuing the right why, even under the right circumstances, decision-making can be hard. And uh, one of the bigger decisions that, that I've had to make, my wife and I have had to make over the last few years, was buying our first home. We spent, uh, my wife grew up in Grand Rapids, I went over there to go to school, and we spent 10 years over there together. And we got married in 2005, jumped into an apartment like most people, uh, you kind of get, get started, find a cheap apartment, one bedroom, that kind of a thing while you're trying to figure out the career and job stuff. And we got a couple years in and we realized, all right, we're, uh, we're, we're doing a little better. We've come out of the four or five part-time job stage and we're both a little bit more established. We're making a little bit of money, putting some aside. Why don't we look into buying and, 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 and take that next step? And so we started doing research, we were talking to people that we trust, hooked up with a friend who was a realtor over there, and, and we're, we're moving towards that. And we had to make the decision, okay, are we going to buy an older, smaller, fixer-upper type house? And that didn't seem super appealing to me because I'm not, I'm not handy, I'm not a fixer-upper. But we thought, okay, we could do that, or we could look at maybe a newer, nicer condo. And that was honestly appealing to me because uh, I try to avoid physical labor. And so the thought of someone mowing the grass for me and shoveling the sidewalk for me and fixing the siding for me, that, that all sounded pretty good. Uh, I mean, uh, dues aside, I was down with that as long as somebody was going to take care of it for me. So we went through that process. We spent time in prayer. We consulted with our parents who had been there and done that and other friends and, and sought out uh, uh, information and research. What's the, wh how's everything going? And we jumped in and we bought this condo and it was awesome. We, our, our, both of our kids were born while we were living there. And it was great, but here's what happened. We bought that thing in 2007. 
And some of you, some of you uh, own some houses out there and know what happened after 2007. So after 2007, we had 2008. And as you know, some of you guys own houses. Some of you do some flipping. Some of you do some investing. You know that in 2008, everything started to crumble. And so honestly, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. We had our place. We're doing great. We can ride it out. But in 2011, we felt God kind of pushing us in a different direction. And, and we ended up moving to this side of the state. But we still had our condo. And uh, initially, we, we found somebody who had rent, a nice young family, and they, they were great for about a year and had a couple months towards the end where they got a little bit flaky on their rent payment and got it in but laid. And it started some discussions with us like, man, we're paying rent over here. We got this mortgage and we've got renters. But if we went two, three, four months without a renter, we'd be in big trouble. We just didn't have the funds to cover a gap there. And so we ended up going through the process of a short sale and, and all that. And now, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst experience ever, okay? It wasn't like we were up at night. We had good people helping us. But it did put us in a situation where for two, three, four years or so, we were kind of stuck with what we, what we had. And even though we loved our condo, we loved living there, we loved starting our family there, the, the way it ended left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And when the time comes, we, we currently rent, when the time comes to buy another house, I'm going to be a little bit gun-shy about that process because we did everything correctly the first time. We talked to our parents, we talked to our friends, we talked to experts, we talked to God. It was a good decision-making process, but it ended poorly. And we often, I think, what I became a victim of as I look back on that, I was a victim of this illusion that we have that if we can make a perfect decision, we get all the details right, we get all the ducks in a row, we do it right, we can make a perfect decision and everything will work out perfectly as a result. But it doesn't necessarily work out that way. We pick our vacation spots, we evaluate our physical health, we come to forks in the road as families, we begin new relationships, I'm going to do it tonight with a hunting spot. I'm going to look at the wind. I'm going to look at what the deer have been doing. I'm going to look at our cameras. I'm going to second-guess myself, and I'm going to second-guess myself again. And I'm, I, get, I get that in my head, like, if I can just figure this out, I'll be in the right spot at the right time, and it's going to be awesome. But it doesn't work out that way, and that extends to all parts of our lives where we think if we can get this right, it'll be gravy from here. And then you can double down on that, and, and, and we realize that uh, for those of us who are Christ followers— we go even further, and we, as Christians, we believe that God will show us exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and if we can follow that to a T, it'll produce a smooth path with no resistance. And I think that just increases the struggle to make decisions because we certainly know and we believe that God's plan is perfect. One of the first verses I ever learned as a kid, Romans 12, 2, uh, Sam, I don't have a screen for it, so this one's just free. Romans 12, 2, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to approve and attest of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we learn those verses growing up in church, and we think, okay, God's will is perfect. I know that. I believe that. And so any sign of imperfection in the decision-making process or in the result of the decision-making process, we think something went wrong. Did I screw up? Did God screw up? Is this like a no-hitter, like I was supposed to sit in the same seat the whole time and not text anybody and not say anything, or we screw it all? I don't know, but we know that God's plan is perfect, so if things don't work out perfect, we must have missed something. 
we must have screwed up the decision-making process. And even if our good decision-making, if we have a history of good decision-making, sometimes like with our condo, you come across a sour ending and it spoils the future decision-making processes. And so what I want to do today is, is, is take a, make another shift in our perspective and talk about a few practical things so that as we're pursuing divine direction, that process can be a little bit more fruitful, a little bit more peaceful. So I want to talk about a guy named Paul. First one I want to talk about today. And, and if you grew up in church, you know Paul. But Paul was a guy who had a major conversion experience, uh, was a great hero of the faith, uh, started churches in, on multiple continents, wrote most of the New Testament through the letters that he sent to different churches, knew details about God that many of us will never know until we get to heaven. He, he, he actually um, had interactions with a post-resurrected Christ. So Jesus was on earth, had his disciples, did his teaching, did all his stuff, died on the cross, rose again, went back to heaven, and Paul interacted with that Jesus. Pretty amazing stuff, and, and, and it's, it's amazing that the experiences that Paul had. But even in the midst of Paul, as he's exposed to things that we can't be exposed to, in the midst of his trips, in the midst of some of the training that he went through, he faced some imperfection in his decision-making. Uh, first passage I want to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 6, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about potentially coming to visit them at some point. So he says, uh, I'll actually start in verse 5, but it says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. But then in verse 6, Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. So here's Paul, a guy with more clarity, more exposure to Christ, more information at his disposal, th at his disposal than any of the rest of us. And here he is trying to visit his friends in Corinth using words like perhaps, a while, or even, wherever, I hope, if permits, there's opposition. All these phrases that, that present a lack of service. So here's a hero of the faith. And even he lived in the agony of the gray areas of life. Even he had uncertainty in his planning. And so for us, Certainty and perfection are not necessarily realistic goals in our decision-making process, especially for the big-time decisions. And so if I were you, I'd be sitting there, okay, it's not realistic. Then what is realistic, Justin? What's realistic for me to expect in my decision-making process? Okay, now I want to go to Solomon back in the Old Testament. And this is Solomon who uh, was the son of King David from David and Goliath fame, and, and the reign is being passed on to Solomon and Solomon, just like many new kings in that era, he had challenges, he had threats, he had a kingdom to establish. And God comes to him and, and really blesses him with a question and says, Solomon, what do you want from me? You can have anything you want, anything you want. Just say the word and it's yours. And Solomon doesn't ask for wealth, doesn't ask for honor, doesn't ask for more years on his life, doesn't ask for his enemies to be killed, he doesn't ask to know the future, he asks for wisdom. And God grants it to him, and, and Solomon writes about it a little bit uh, in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 4, this is Solomon writing this, I'm sorry, not Psalm, Proverbs chapter 4, 
And this is what he says. He says, listen to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was the son of my father and still tender and cherished by my mother. And he taught me. And he said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. And so he's really building up like, this is something you need to hold on to. This is it. And then in verse 5, he says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, Get understanding. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Develop good judgment. There have been times in my life when God has given a lot of clarity. Okay, if you're here uh, opening week, a, a couple weeks ago, I shared that when it came to planting this church, it was too big. It, it was just too much. We needed to hear clarity from God that this is what you're supposed to do. But that's not a guarantee. That's not something he promises us. God doesn't promise details. He doesn't promise us the details to make a perfect decision. But he does promise us wisdom to have good discernment. God doesn't guarantee all the details and all the specifics that you need for every big decision that you make. But what he will grant you is wisdom to make a good call. He doesn't say pursue this after high school. But he does say that my word will be a lamp to your feet. He doesn't say she's the one. But he does give you Proverbs 31 that you can go to and see exactly what a woman of God looks like, what a great godly wife, a mother with character and work ethic, and all the things that that a great wife and mother looks like. He provides you with that. He doesn't say that this way is safe and this way is dangerous, but he does say that to live is Christ and to die would actually be gain. He doesn't say that this will lead you to financial security, but he does say I feed the birds and I clothe the lilies and I'll sure as heck take care of you. So there's no guarantees, but as you're chasing down a deeper relationship with Jesus, as you're becoming the right who, as you're making sure that you're being driven by the right why, you can have the ability to make a pretty good call. You can make a good decision. And so it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Now, three things I want to give you when it comes to actually obtaining this wisdom and making calls based on wisdom and good discernment. First one is this. First one is walk. Walk. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, A number of years ago, my my wife's family is all in Grand Rapids, uh, and so we were visiting, and I don't remember why we were there or what we were doing, but I ended up leaving to go somewhere, and I'm driving down the street, and it's a, uh, it wasn't a subdivision, it was a street that's like 40, 45 miles an hour, and so people drive 50, 55, of course. And I'm driving down the road, and as I look ahead, I see a group of young teenagers walking in the street. Some of them are on the right side, some on the left side, some in the middle, kind of wandering back and forth. And this is, like, this is a legit road that people are driving on. And as I approach, I see another car coming from the other direction, and they're approaching this, this group before I get there, and they, of course, slow down. But... Uh, I remember kind of focusing on this one teenage guy, seemed to be the cockiest, kind of had that walk, kind of had that look to him. And uh, this car approaches them, and the, the kids aren't moving. They're just doing their thing. They, they don't care that a car is coming. And this car does one of these. 
And just for that split second, it looks like it's going to go in. That kid filled his pants. I'm telling you right now. Uh, if, he wor- if he was wearing a diaper, it needed to be changed because he flipped out. And as that car got through them and went by, he, he waved goodbye in, in a special way. But, but, but I come up on these guys, and I pass through, and I look in my rearview mirror, and they all kind of made their way over to the side of the road at that point. And I find myself thinking, they're really stupid. <laughs> but at the same time, as I think about this, th- this, this topic today, I have to believe that if there was 10 or 12 of them, even if most of them were morons, there's probably a couple of them in there who are usually good decision makers, usually good kids, usually find themselves in good situations. But on that day, at that time, they found themselves with a group of morons who like to walk in the middle of the street. And so they walked in the middle of the street. They were walking with the unwise. It's almost impossible to make a good decision, to live the right life, to go in the right direction if you have the wrong friends and the wrong people around you. You're trying to get your grades up, but you're constantly with people who don't care and just go home and game all afternoon. You're trying to get clean, but only people you're around are people who have no interest. You're trying to improve your work ethic, but you're constantly around people who don't. You're trying to make good decisions, but all the people you have in your life are terrible decision makers, and you know it. Walk with the wise. If you want to grow in wisdom, if you want to make the right decisions, if you want to walk in a wise direction, you've got to walk with the wise. And this is not a one-time meeting. This is not two ships passing in the night like, oh, I met somebody wise today. I'm feeling really good. This is, this is an investment. This is, this is life doing life with the wise. This is immersing yourself with the wise. This is being around people who get it. This is being around the people who want to be where you are. Walk with the wise. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you a shameless plug because there are some people at this church who are part of our launch team who have now evolved to be our dream team, which is our team of volunteers. And uh, here at this church, we're eventually going to add a small groups ministry at, uh, add some adult small groups. We're being very uh, intentional, being very slow about the things that we add to make sure we're healthy before we increase the things that we have. And so those opportunities are coming, but we do have a dream team full of people. They're not perfect. They haven't made excellent decisions every single time. They can't see the future, but here's the kind of people that they are. They're the kind of people who get it. They get it. Because when we talked to them last spring and into the summer, they said, you're going to start a brand new church that doesn't exist yet and it's going to be really hard work? I think we'll help with that. <laughs> I think we'll help with that. And right now, many of them are back with your kids, missing the talk, missing the worship, missing this corporate time so that we can all enjoy that. These aren't perfect people, but they get it. They're people you want to be around. And so while we build up to the time when we have small groups to be a part of and other things that can get us all connected and, and, and as we grow to that time where you can come to me and say, hey, I need help with this, and I can say, I just met a guy who's into that. Let's, let's connect you guys. Those times will come, but we do have those environments where if we can get you plugged into that dream team, you're going to be around people who get it, and they're going to help push you in the right direction. So shameless plug there, uh, but those, that's just one of the opportunities. But you need to walk with the wise. That's the first one. Second one is ask. Second one is ask. James 1, five. 
says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here lacking wisdom, looking for some direction? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's just like our kids, right? I've got two little kids. They're seven and eight. My eight-year-old in particular, uh, Hallie, if she asks for help, I'll help. But she hates to ask for help. I'll sit there sometimes watching her mess with her shoelaces or something else, and I'll just kind of be sitting there like, that's going to be a knot. <laughs> and she's going to cry. And while she's crying, she's going to tug on it harder. And I'm going to have to get it out if she asks me. But she won't ask. She hates to ask for help. And, 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 and I know that I'm living a pattern. I spent enough years in student ministries to know that I'm living this pattern where for a little while I was the hero. She's eight years old. I'm not a hero anymore. It, it went away so quickly. Um, I was a hero for a little while. Now I don't really know anything. And then someday in a few years, I'll, I'll know a little something about paying for college. And then eventually, someday, I'll hopefully be that trustworthy friend. And I just have one goal. I have one desire for my kids, other than you know, obviously having a relationship with Christ and serving Him, those things. But my, my big goal is that they'll just grow up and be low-maintenance adult children who just ask for wisdom when they need it, right? And some of you I know have kids who are growing, and you're like, good luck, pal. Mine's 27, and we're still trying to figure that out, right? But that, that's the goal, and I feel like God has that same goal for us where he'll gladly give wisdom without hesitation, but a lot of times we, we forget about the means, and we just ask for the end. We ask God to help with the money thing. We ask God to help with the car thing. We ask God to help with the education thing and the career thing. That's all, that's all the end. Wisdom is the means. The money is the fish, and the car is the fish, and the job is the fish, and the adult kids who are low maintenance is the fish. But the wisdom is the fishing pole, and that's what God wants to give us. Uh, Psalm chapter 32. I told you we'd go to Psalm eventually. Psalm chapter 32 kind of hits on the same idea, 32 verse 8. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Don't be like the horse or the mule. I'm glad he chose that language. Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. And I didn't include this in, in the screens, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. It's almost like God saying, I'm looking for some low-maintenance adult kids who will just ask for wisdom when they need it. I don't want kids who are like a horse where you got to get the thing in their mouth and drag them this way and drag them that way and you got to walk them step by step by step to get them to do anything. He says, I want people who will ask for some wisdom and I'll give it to them every single time and I'll show you the way that you should go. Maybe not the details, maybe not every single step, but don't be stubborn, just ask. Ask for wisdom. So walk and then ask. And then finally, this is a big one. You got to decide. You have to decide. Now, if you're being the right who, if you're being, if you're being diligent about pursuing the right why, if you're growing in discernment, if you're asking for wisdom, ultimately it's time to make a call based on the wisdom you've been given. You guys can come up. We're going to have a special song in a second, but, you know, I, I was... I can't help but think of Mr. Miyagi when it comes to this, this decision-making thing. And I feel bad 
And I'm going to ask, um, this is bad. You guys are going to find that when I really should be serious, I'm going to find a joke in it, so I apologize. But I really don't want to be that 80-year-old pastor who's constantly referring to movies from the 1980s. And so <laughs> for those of you who choose to be with us for the, for the years to come, please help me with that. But uh, I'm already heading down the wrong path. But Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid, there's a scene in the movie where he's talking to Daniel and trying to give him some advice. And he says, you walk on the right side of the road, you're going to be safe. You walk on the left side of the road, you're going to be safe. You walk in the middle of the road, sooner or later, squish like grapes. And that's basically what we're saying here. The wisdom is available to you. You've asked for it. You're trying to walk with the wise. You're trying to be around people who will help you use good discernment. Eventually, it's time to make a call. Jesus tells a, a parable of, of the talents in, in the book of Matthew where he says, a ruler left his servants, one of them with one talent, one of them with two talents, one of them with five talents, and he went away. When he came back, he asked him to give them back, and the guy with five had turned it into ten, the guy with two had turned it into four, and the guy with one never really did anything with it, just buried it, and all he had was one. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the one he was ticked about was the one who never was able to pull the trigger. He's never able to make a decision. And if we go back to Paul again, uh, he, he faces another decision-making point. And uh, he's trying to decide if, if they're going to stay where they're at, go to the next spot, stay where they're at, and send somebody else ahead to let them know that they're coming. He's just making another decision. Remember, this is the guy who has some clarity, who has some access to Christ that may be a little bit more deeper than, than we have. But, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy. We thought it best. We thought it best. That's a little bit wishy-washy to me. That, that's a little bit less clear than I would, I would hope to be when you're talking about journeys that take weeks and months and trying to decide if you're going to go or someone else is going to go. But Paul came on this situation where there was no, the Lord spoketh to me, my servant, thou shalt go. There was none of that. What he had was the information that was in front of him. What he had was people around him that he trusted. And what he has was, had was wisdom that he had asked God for. And what he was left with was, was there's a decision to be made, and I'm going to use the wisdom and discernment that's available to me. And so I think this is best, and we're going to go for it. Eventually, you have to decide. But along with that comes an element of trust. In Paul's life, his journeys required some trust, and the same is true of us. At some point in this process, as we're becoming who we're supposed to be, we need to step out and trust that God's going to guide us in the path we're supposed to take. Mighty warrior. 
my side. When you don't move the mountains, I'm guiding you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust you. what tomorrow brings there's not a day ahead you have not seen so when all things be my life and breath i want what you want lord and nothing less when you don't move the mountains i'm needing you to move when you don't part the waters i wish i could walk can be given wisdom and you can use discernment based on that are we going to make mistakes sure we're going to make mistakes but even through that you can gain more wisdom you might gain an extra bill might have to take on an extra semester you might have an extra kid running around (laughs) or more but you can know in the midst of all of that that my god is with me guiding me with wisdom. Even if perfection can't be attained, he's going to make my path straight. And so I want you to consider this morning, who's guiding your path? So we can talk about the friends you're around or the colleagues you're around, the way that you're attaining wisdom. But all of this begins and it ends with a relationship with Christ and allowing him to guide, allowing him to lead. And I'm going to pray in a second. And, And for those of you who are sitting here and you'd say, you know what? I'm a Christ follower. I'm all in on that. I want you to take a second and just ask God for wisdom. 
I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what decision you're coming up on or what you're coming out of, whatever. Ask for wisdom for discernment, even when the details aren't all there. Ask him to help you make a good call. But I'm going to pray in a second, and, and this is for those of you who, I don't know how you, end up I- how you ended up here. Maybe you got the mailer. Maybe you saw social media. Maybe somebody invited you. I don't know what brought you here this morning. But if you've never given your heart to Jesus, that's where all of this has to begin. I don't care what decisions you make. I don't care if you're the best decision maker. I don't care if you're the best investor. I don't care if you just have it all figured out. If you don't have Jesus, it doesn't matter. And it's as simple as this. It's as as simple as acknowledging that Jesus was God and he came because you needed him to. You have sin in your life. You've made mistakes. You've fallen short. And because Jesus came and died for you, you can be forgiven. And if you'll acknowledge that and turn your heart over him, then all of a sudden, you know, we talk about some of the access that Paul had. All of a sudden, we obtain this Holy Spirit inside of us that, that is God himself restoring us from the inside out, leading us from the inside out. And that's what this is all about. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And like I said, if, if you're there, please just take this moment to talk to God. But it, but if you're here and you would say, man, Justin, I've never made that decision. I've never taken that step. I've never, I've never given my heart to Jesus and acknowledged my need for him in my life. Just in the quietness of your heart, say, God, I need you in my life. God, I've made good decisions. I've made bad decisions. But God, I've never made the decision to trust you and love you. So Jesus, from this point forward, I'm giving you my life. Help me to love you and live for you. And I'll trust you from there. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that or if you made any type of decision today, if you're facing a decision that you just feels really big and you're, you're making a commitment to, to give that to Christ, we, we want to hear about it. Uh, on your way in, you may have gotten a connection card. If you didn't, we have some on the back table back there. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, If you chose to give your heart to Jesus for the first time today, there's a box at the bottom of that thing. You can just check that off. Let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to come alongside you to help you start taking some steps in that relationship with Christ. If you have a prayer request that we can be praying for for you, if you have a decision that you just want us to cover in prayer, please let us know. There's a place on the back of that card. Just stick it in the little black box at the back of the room, and and we want to come alongside you. It's a big deal. The, the, The decision to follow Jesus... And the decisions that we make on a daily basis are very personal and they start with us, but they're never meant to be lived alone. And so please allow yourself to enter into community with some of those decisions that you're facing and that you've experienced. So um, here's the thing. It's a beautiful thing when we're able to experience decision-making God's way. And I know we haven't hit a lot of nitty-gritty details but I hope that as we experience wisdom and ask for that and as we pursue who we're supposed to be and we, and we get on board with the motives that God wants us to have, it's an awesome thing because then it's friends and confidants and mentors and people praying all united in common pursuit of Christ. And at the heart of it all is God and his Holy Spirit guiding us, blessing us, healing us, and it's no longer just a lone survivor trying to make perfect decisions through life. It's a community seeking divine direction together, discerning and celebrating the path that God opens up. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray and then we'll get out of here. God, we love you. 
We thank you for this time together. We thank you for another beautiful Sunday. And God, as this, as this community goes into the future, we don't know what you have for us as individuals, as families, as an entire church. But God, I pray that as we get to know each other, as we grow together, as we grow in you, that we'll be able to look back and celebrate decisions that are made, sometimes in uncertainty, sometimes knowing that, that, that you know, but we don't. But we can look back and say, God was there. He was guiding. He was blessing. And we trusted him through it. And it's a beautiful thing. Lord, we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great, great day. And don't forget, growth track will start here in about 10 minutes. Thanks. <laughs>